Hello and welcome to this RC Site podcast with me, Ella Marchant, where we will be discussing the topic of eco distress. We will be exploring the impact of the climate crisis on young people's well-being, as well as tips and advice on how to cope with eco distress. Taking part in this discussion, we have Dr. Katrina Meller, a child and adolescent psychiatrist and member of the Royal College of Psychiatrists Sustainability Committee. Dr. Meller has worked directly with children and young people to understand and support their mental health needs during this time of climate emergency. Currently, this is focused on raising awareness and developing training and resources around the topic of eco-distress. We are also very fortunate to have two young people, Charlotte and Rhiannon, join us to share their own reflections on the impact of environmental issues on their mental well-being and to talk about what they have found that helps them. I think we'd like to hear from Dr. Katrina first on... um, What impact is the climate crisis having on our well-being? Thank you, Ella. This is a big topic, isn't it? Um, And I'm so glad we've got Charlotte and Rhiannon with us to talk about it from a personal perspective as well. But if we look at the research to start with, um, there's there's loads of research and, and more coming out all the time that shows how climate and the nature crisis, and not just the climate crisis, but the nature crisis as well, impact on our physical health, but also our mental health and our well-being. Um, and the more we learn, the more we can see how inextricably linked the health of our planet is with the health of us who who live on it. Um, for simplicity, um, the effects of so the mental health impacts tend to be split into three main areas. There's the direct impacts, the indirect impacts, and then um, eco-distress or eco-anxiety, which is this psychological response to the threat. Um, so just a little bit more about that, if people are interested. Uh, the direct effects, we know that around the world and increasingly also in the UK, we are seeing acute direct effects following extreme weather events, such as flooding and maybe elsewhere wildfires. Um, and those sort of effects are things like an increase in the prevalence of post-traumatic stress disorder um, or depressive and anxiety disorders. Secondly, there's these indirect effects. Um, So for example, um, it's a kind of combination of effects. So the change in climate mixed with rising sea levels, increased extreme weather events, all these things can combine to impact um, maybe let's say our health and social systems uh, might lead to livelihood losses, uncertainty, migration, and those things obviously have um, impacts on mental health and well-being. And then thirdly, there's this um, phenomenon that we're we're talking more about today, this eco-distress, other people call it eco-anxiety, which is also a significant issue but describes more people's feelings as they come to terms with the climate crisis, even if they haven't directly experienced these catastrophes, but because they can see or we can see that it's an existential threat to all of us living on this planet. Thank you so much. Um, Could we hear from Rihanna next, please? Well, thank you for having me on today. And basically, overall, I believe the crisis is affecting young people in such a negative way towards the way we view our future 
and the way we view our children's future and our grandchildren's future. Lots of I'm currently studying in Oxford um, as a geography student and many people here are very negative about it and their future because they see that we're going to have our lives somewhat limited on what opportunities we've got to excel or where we want to travel to carry out research or where we want to see ourselves in the next five years. We feel by having complacency around the crisis and saying that, oh, it's not all our fault, blah, 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 makes people feel as if they can um, somewhat lay off their responsibility. But we all have a responsibility to look after our planet. So it's prohibiting people from voicing how much they care by the laid back opinion of politicians, for example. Um, a lot of people feel as if they can't carry out, including myself, doing things every day because they feel guilty about having this negative impact upon the environment. So, for example, flying, there's a lot of guilt around flying. Lots of my friends refuse to fly now and use rail networks and go interrailing, for example, on holiday because they feel as if that if they go flying, their one flight will considerably pollute the whole planet, which I know is not true, but because the fact that it's so ingrained in our systems that we feel as if we have this impulse to have to act almost immediately. Um, like sometimes the campaigns about eating meat, for example, and not eating meat and promoting plant-based diets can be so forceful, can put teenagers in a stressful situation on choice on whether um, they should eat that meat meal, for example, that steak, because they feel as if they're going to pollute the planet and extort um, cows and their well-being just because it removes their freedom of choice, basically. So they feel as if they're bound to taking the vegan option, um, which I see as often a really sad prospect. But as our future carries on and the improvement in terms of alternatives, I think We'll be able to adapt hopefully but at the current time with the lack of alternatives and the lack of ingenuity um it's seen very negatively our future and the future of our children um rhiannon can i just say you were talking earlier that you've been traveling was that kind of guilty feeling something that you experienced um yes i experienced it quite a bit because i went to south america and I felt as if I shouldn't be going there because the extortion in terms of the amount of CO2 which has been released into the atmosphere by flying. So I paid for offsets on all my flights. I know that by chucking money at the problem might not do anything about it. It helped deal with the guilt in a sense. And a lot of my family members and friends were saying, you're so young, you shouldn't have to feel guilty. It's us as adults that should be taking more responsibility for our own actions and being able to initiate change for the future. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rhiannon. Charlotte, can we hear from you next, please, going on what Rhiannon said about feeling guilty? Um, how do you think cli the climate crisis makes us feel? I think, yeah, definitely agreeing with Rhiannon on a lot of guilt, I think, because young people, it seems, are much more aware of the climate crisis in general or it seems like that to me in terms of like people going to use climate strikes and things 
Um, so there's lots of guilt and I think with that lots of a feeling of responsibility. So I know personally I feel like I've got a responsibility to try and make the future look slightly less scary. And obviously that's a huge weight for young people's carry because we've also at this point in life, so I'm at college, we're all trying to figure out what we want to do with our lives, whether we want to go to university, whether we want to travel and the sort of looming <laughs> climate crisis makes that all much more difficult to think about because obviously like you're saying travel is difficult and we're looking at a world where job prospects and the geography of our planet is going to change a lot um, so I think there's a lot of uncertainty there as well. Um, looking just at well-being on a whole not necessarily guilt I think um, is a good mixture of sort of fear and panic and because of that putting things off so I know lots of young people don't or amongst young people, um, we don't actually really talk about it that much um, in social settings or school, because it's a very scary thing to think about. And it's much easier just to try and think, oh, it's not on us, we can't do everything, it's up to the government, which to some extent is true. We shouldn't be taking on that burden just for, just for ourselves, but that doesn't mean we are completely powerless. And I think, like what Rhiannon was saying at the beginning, it is dangerous to have this idea that and we can just push it on to someone else. And it's not our problem because it's everyone's problem. Absolutely. Uh, what kind of things, Charlotte, do you think can trigger negative thoughts or emotions to do with the climate? Um, I'd say definitely looking at a lot of the loss of biodiversity and wildlife. So you'll every now and then see, oh, this animal's gone extinct or this area of the world is still burning. Um, so I think lots of the news that does make its way into the headlines can really, especially when it's such dramatic imagery as well of like a whole species being extinct or like massive areas of land burning. It's very powerful and making you sort of actualizing and realizing and putting a picture to the loss that is obviously being felt much wider than we actually realize or that's happening in many more places than we like to think about. Absolutely. Rhiannon, can we hear from you next, please, on what kind of things can trigger negative thoughts and emotions? Thank you very much, Ella. Basically, I found that there's a lot of different things which can cause negative triggers, which are crop up almost on a daily, hourly, minutely basis, if that makes sense. So I often find the news in often blaming people for speaking out about the crisis, for example, often reflecting negatively upon those who take it upon themselves to protest. Yes, it might not be necessarily in the most legal of manners, for example, Extinction Rebellion climbing up to Big Ben and hanging a flag on a Big Ben clock tower. Yes, that is illegal, but the people who sit outside peacefully with their signs and their banners saying that they want this change and they're being physically and violently dispersed and caught and shamed upon verbally and publicly in the news for doing this is genuinely triggers negative thoughts, I think, among young people, because even if we try to protest and try to show our own opinions, we are often silenced because it's seen as public disobedience and not following the government's belief and ideas and um, planned manifesto, in a sense. I also see heading on from the government again that um they fail to acknowledge what is needing to be done so they always see the economy and they always see the priority of themselves 
and interests of big business before they see the investiture in young people and young people's futures, which often upsets me because it shows that they don't value their country's future and they don't value their own legacy on young people who potentially could vote for them in the future. It's as if we're there to cross a box and let them carry on with their control and their influence basically on the world and also um locally in terms of when i um go out walking for example like um massive deforestation because of large tree disease for example brought in um which is means that like there's la less um, biodiverse, the threat to biodiversity is quite significant in my area because of basically this disease dying out means that there's no dying out all the larch trees means that there's no habitat for local wildlife, which is not promising for young people in terms of young children as well who use the woodlands in our area for educational purposes. They're not even seeing that. And that's within the space of two years. Imagine what it would be like in 10 years. 15 years and 20 years, for example, we not, might not be able to witness any biodiversity in our local areas because we'll only be seeing it as a priority to get rid of it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what you were talking about before about uh, politicians, not really they're not really focusing on future voters. No, not at all. I um, find that, like I voted in the last general election, for example, and um, you see other governments around the world, yes, they might not be perfect like our own, but at least they're trying to make changes to ensure that it's more demographically representative of their population. So hopefully we can gain some hope and follow them in the mm. future to be able to bring forward some political change to enable the climate crisis to have some focus for once. Yeah, completely. And. Um, Dr. Katrina, psychiatrists are using the term eco-distress. What is eco-distress? Uh, well, I think uh, Charlotte and Rhiannon are already giving us a flavour, aren't they? In simple terms, I suppose we're using the term eco-distress to talk about um, somebody's or our emotional response to bad news about the planet. Um, and it follows that as the bad news gets worse, and I think both of them have mentioned just how, how you can't really get away from it, can you? Um, and as people become more aware, eco-distress is becoming more common, and we're seeing that, whether it's from reports from teachers or parents or um, therapists or surveys that have been carried out. Um, and I think it's interesting. I think many people have accepted the climate and nature crisis on what we might call a cognitive level. So they sort of know about it, but it seems like eco distress is what happens emotionally if this knowledge is is sort of allowed to sink in, and the implications are fully registered. Um, so the knowledge sinks in, and you and you say, "Oh, blimey!" But what does that actually mean? So it's a very human response. It can affect any human being. Um, it affects everyone differently because we are all different. Um, there's a, a wide range of feelings and experiences that, that the term covers. 
um, which might include um, anxiety, sadness, um, grief, um, helplessness sometimes, and, and lots and lots more besides. And just like the emotions can be different, the the intensity can be different. So some people feel it relatively mildly um, and other people are significantly impacted um, in the ability to do what they want to do every day. And I think also it can it can come and go. Some some days are worse than others. And, and maybe that's something to do with like Rhiannon and Charlotte were saying, you know, what what triggers it? And that can be massive things like seeing something, a disaster, having a child, even if we're talking about adults, or it could be tiny things like having to uh, ask for a plastic bag in a supermarket when you've forgotten to take your your reusable one. And you were saying um, people are aware of it on a cognitive level. Do you mean like, no, for example, knowing that it's better to go vegan, but not going vegan? I think that's it. And, and it's also like, um, we know, like people, we all see the same science, don't we? We, we? we read the reports, we know about heating, global heating, we, you know, people talk about temperature rise, we know about sea level rise, we know about ice caps melting, we know about species going extinct. So we know all this, we know the direction the graphs are going in, and they're all, you know, pretty much all without exception going in a direction that is taking our planet down a road which is not which which does isn't going to enable healthy and thriving human societies to to thrive on so we know that and yet people know that across the board i think young people know that adults know that politicians know that decision makers know that we know what the solutions are because they're talked about as well they're out there but um we're, we're stuck in this situation where we're, we're so, we know that we're, it's almost like we're in this train heading off a cliff and we know what's going to happen when we fall off that cliff but we're not no you know there's i think there are lots of people making changes and taking action and and i hope we come to that a bit later because there is a lot of positive stuff going on but at the moment it's nowhere near enough to stop that train before it careers off the cliff and so although we know we know it or we're not doing what needs to be done at um at a large enough scale with enough urgency collectively so is eco distress a mental health disorder ah uh, thank you ella for asking that question because that's a, a super important point and the answer is no i think some people may think because the Royal College of Psychiatrists is talking about it. It must mean that we're saying something about the distress itself is a problem that needs fixing. And I think part of understanding this wider issue of eco-distress is becoming, is being so clear about this. We have to be clear that the problem that we're talking about is the man-made nature and climate emergency. And in fact, the fact that it isn't being addressed with the urgency required. This is a massive, you know, this is a problem. This is an, a rapidly unfolding existential crisis that will, you know, it will, of course, impact our physical health and mental health and well-being and, and goodness knows what else besides. But, it, but of course, it, it's healthy to be frightened in that sort of crisis. This is what humans 
have evolved to do. Um, if we're faced with something threatening, this is what we have to do. We, we notice the threat, we see it, we feel the fear, um, and that fear, that, that really strong emotion helps us do what we need to do to keep ourselves or our loved ones safe. So, you know, that might be even just studying for exams or work, working together to face a pandemic like COVID-19. So eco-distress is a bit like this. It, it's, not, it's not a mental disorder. It's an understandable response to terrifying news. It's not an illness. We mustn't pathologize this. It, it doesn't need treatment. And in, in fact, I think it's also important to say that anyone feeling these feelings is showing that they are a connected, empathic human being who feels part of the world around them. I like how um, you have actually presented it as something that's very, just very human and very normal and also shows how we are actually very sensitive creatures yeah yeah no absolutely and i think actually we have a lot to learn from it from the ego distress <laughs> and in some ways it might be able to help us because without lots of people feeling really frightened and scared angry and all those feelings, we might just all carry on doing what we're doing. And that is taking this train over the cliff. But actually, there's something in us, there's something in in all of us, but but there's there are some people who are already feeling it and already speaking out. There's something that that's showing it's like an alarm call. It's showing it's showing us the threat, isn't it? It's showing us this is something to be frightened of. This is something we need to um, notice. We need to feel the fear and we need or whatever the emotions are that we're feeling. And then we need to use that to make the changes that we, we need to make to help ourselves and our loved ones and the rest of the planet. Thank you so much for speaking on that. Another question for you is why are um, children and young people more likely to experience eco-distress? So I think I said a bit earlier that we, we are hearing more from parents, teachers, therapists um, across the board about children and young people experiencing eco-distress. But I think it is also important to say that there are many, many adults who are having these experiences. And in fact, some of the first reports of, of eco-distress, I think it was probably called something else, at the time um, were from climate scientists and climate journalists and activists but yes more more recently um millions of children have been taken to the street as they become more aware and whilst there are some similarities with the adult experience there are some aspects that seem specific to children and young people and i don't pretend to know necessarily the answer to this but some thoughts they I mean, I've, yeah, I spent time talking to Rhiannon and Charlotte and um, other young people, both personally and through my work and through this specific climate work. And children and young people do seem to have this capacity of just being able to, to sort of 
clock, you know, I suppose using that, that same language, clock the threat, they, they see the science, they see what is happening now, and they see what this means for the future. And, and for some reason, they, they're able to, to keep their eyes on it, not, not be distracted or, or tell themselves that um, someone else is going to fix it or that they've got something more important to do, that there's some amazing capacity they have to, to, to stick with it. Their generation has never lived in a stable climate, and I can't quite imagine what that's like. They've, they haven't grown up having that certainty of seasons, um, or that certainty that I know not everybody is uh, privileged enough to feel, but that I and, and other people listening to this probably had the certainty that the planet can provide what we need. This uncertainty and fear for them happening now is happening at a time in their lives when they're trying to like like Rhiannon and Charlotte were saying they're making these important decisions about their future and they're trying to develop their their sense of identity and their purpose and, and their um, role in this life. I think it's also important to mention another difficult and painful element and I know Rhiannon certainly you touched on this but it's this feeling of disconnection from the adult generation. But actually at the moment, quite frankly, and this isn't everyone, but quite frankly, a lot of the adult generation are letting them down. So a concerned young person with eco distress in whatever way that's showing itself. Um, and it, you know, it could quite rightly, and they would be completely entitled to be feeling um, rage or despair or desperation, um, but instead of being able to, to, to turn to the adults in their lives, whether that's in their family, in the school, their in professionals, um, decision makers, politicians, instead of being able to tell, turn to them um, for support and guidance, they they they're often faced in return with a lack of awareness, still surprise that they might be thinking or saying this. Um, and like Rhiannon and Charlotte mentioned, some, some young people have even been shamed, have tried to be silenced. Some people have even been criminalised for sharing how they feel and speaking out about what they think needs to change. Um, so I think that adds a whole nother layer of distress and despair um, and a feeling of isolation and abandonment to young people who are also coping with what the rest of us are having to cope with, which is the sadness and despair and grief and fear of the actual damage that is happening to the planet and, um, and the implications that has on our future as well. Rhiannon, would you like to pick up on anything that Dr. Katrina said? Yeah, so when Katrina went on to mention about the despair and how people are feeling um, in terms of the government changing its perceptions, I think it's more of a national, it's like an international crisis in a sense of not just the environment, but in a humanity, of, of humanity really, in, in terms of the environment, socially, in terms of the levels of poverty, for example, and development in countries, the threat of democracy. It's a, 
the envi- the eco crisis is not in terms of just environmental crisis, but it's an all round global crisis, which has manifested itself in an environmental sense, and it shows that as citizens of the world, we need to take more of a responsibility to care for our planet and care for each other, and I think it's it's more than it's more than just the politics behind it as well. It's more than just the environment. It's everything combined, which will make it so much more significant for our future. That we need to not just look at it as um, look at it in a, in a way, a political way, but we need to look at it as, in an all-round sustainable approach. Because the problem is, we're so divided about the crisis. For example, America pulling out of Paris, the Paris Accords, and um, the government, for example, arresting young people who are protesting against the ecological crisis. It shows that there's this disconnect politically, but as well as socially and environmentally, which we need to address for our own futures. Because unfortunately, as the environment continues to degrade, our social environment and um, political environment continues to degrade also. Thank you so much for that. So to look at a slightly different aspect, what can we do to make ourselves feel better and actually look after our mental well-being, uh, considering how how big and how existential this issue is? Charlotte, can we hear from you? Uh, yeah, so I'd say on in the big picture, obviously, action against climate change and feeling that there are solid movements from the government and from um, a majority of the population to sort of begin counteracting the effects and causes of climate change in a big way. So that's the kind of on the grand scale. But I suppose individually, um, things that personally I felt make me feel much better are like knowing that I can do little things to have some control. So like changing my diet or changing how I travel. Because even though obviously they're tiny and it's just one person, it does, I think it can give you a sense of control over the little things that you can do. And of course, if everyone does that, it will have a much bigger impact. I think as well as that, um, going to events, so strikes or like meetings and workshops and things, I think that can help a lot as well, because one, you feel like you're doing something and you feel like you're doing something with a community supporting you. And in that community, you can have sort of open discussions about how you feel and what you think needs to be done and just generally feel supported. So it's not just you slightly sitting there thinking, oh, what can I do? Or how can I try and solve this? Um, It's more you can sit together and think, how can we support each other to work against this? So those are probably the sort of two main things personally. And what have you found, Charlotte, that helps you personally to feel better? I became vegetarian about two years ago. And I think that helped me feel a lot better because it was, for me, quite an easy choice to make, which is obviously a privilege. And it's a tiny thing that um, I feel like can have an impact. Um, and like I said, um, like I've been to climate strikes and workshops for Extinction Rebellion and finding other people who feel the same way is very comforting I think. Rhiannon echoing this is anything that Charlotte's saying resonating with you? Yeah I find a lot what Charlotte was saying basically is what I find comforting in the fact that in terms of what young people are actually doing 
to make themselves feel better is sort of in a united approach. So by young people often following change in their diets, for example, like I eat vegan a couple of times a week um, in college and I um, have signed petitions, for example, and joined environmental societies. That whole community and the sense that we can make a better world makes young people feel more comforted that they're not on their own trying to fight this, that there's a lot of us out there, but we just need to come out of the shadows and not feel ashamed or afraid by our own adult community that we're doing the wrong thing and we're stepping out of line because we're quite clearly standing up for ourselves and trying to defend what we believe and we think is right. And as we are a democracy, we should feel comfortable in doing so. And I think having this young person uh, campaign movement, especially run by Greta Thunberg, has allowed young people to take control of what we believe is ours and give us a future, basically. I also find um, experiencing nature. So I actually do a lot of tree planting and tree growing at home with my dad. And we plant up the local forest um, small uh, saplings and things, which I enjoy doing. And I do a lot of hiking with scouts. And I find it's really important that we engage with nature at a young age. So I run a cub group and I take them out a lot. And we go out and explore the local woods and we teach them about biodiversity and the importance of caring for the environment to instill this behavior that the environment is our friend and we need to look after it for the future. That's amazing Rhiannon, is that something that you've been able to carry on during Covid? Um, fortunately in basically as I'm currently in university I haven't been with my group but during Covid we have been fortunate as my group is based in Wales they are able to meet outside so we are able to continue to do those walks and educate young people over zoom about our local environment and about the importance in protecting biodiversity and it's got young people um, especially in the group wanting to engage more because they can relate to it and understand what's going on and they um, take away what they learn in cubs um, to school and they apply it to their own school-based approach so it helps them understand and put together this idea of the environment and this concept of caring for the world. That's lovely, thank you so much for sharing that. Hi there, um, it was brilliant hearing from Charlotte and Rhiannon about their suggestions. Um, what's made me feel better? I would largely agree actually in similar sort of ways to Charlotte and Rhiannon. I think talking so there's something about finding other people that get it whether that's in your family or, or where it or um other groups of people who may be involved in taking some sort of action um and just saying how i feel um is is amazingly helpful um i actively make an effort to search out stories of people who are making changes because there are sometimes we can get overwhelmed by the negative coverage on the media of which there is um loads and i think that's important so we know what's going on but there's there are also tens of millions of people across the world who feel so strongly about this that they're trying to make changes against the odds um and i find it so amazing to look and, and see the creativity and the energy out there and I, I can't help feeling if there was a little bit more political will um 
a new and better world is literally sort of ready to to burst forth i think um and and again picking up on that theme of nature i i've found um so personally spending time in nature but also looking towards nature-based uh, solutions has has brought me um a lot of optimism so not denying that things are still um difficult but if I can hold on to a vision of a world where we have regenerated our wild nature and that is something that we can still do now. Um, so that's regenerating oceans and forests and, and land and also importantly bringing healthy nature into livable cities. Um, I, I can almost sort of see that that vision in my mind's eye and it kind of counters those apocalyptic visions of forest fires and, and flood damage. Um, and and it just um, it's just something if it happens and I, I think it will happen, we'll look back and we'll think, what what were we thinking about? Because if we manage to rejuvenate those natural ecosystems, they do all the you know a lot of the work that um that is needed they 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 draw down carbon so they help with the climate crisis and they obviously help with the nature crisis um they protect against climate risks so they protect against flood and hot temperatures in cities um they improve our physical and mental health and well-being um and if they're managed by by people in a socially just way they can you know it can be part of a way to think about reducing inequality um and it can create job opportunities so i think um it, it sometimes takes an active effort to think about the positive future and a different vision for how things can be. But I sort of almost make that a, a daily practice of mine um, because I think if enough people think it's possible, then it is possible. Uh, so if a child or a young person was really struggling with eco distress, when might uh, additional support be needed? Yeah, it's about finding the balance, isn't it? Because we're saying eco-distress is a, 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 a sort of normal, understandable response. And we've we've tried to pull together some guide guidance in this fact sheet to talk people through how to try and manage that. So that's around, it's, it's around mainly how to look after yourself and understand, express and manage the feelings, you know, all these powerful and really quite sometimes overwhelming, potentially overwhelming feelings. So understand what they're about and try and get to a point where we can come to terms with the situation. We can't get over it. It's not something that's going to go away, but we can we can learn to live with this new reality and we can um, manage the emotions that come up with that. And, and we need to look after ourselves, obviously. Balancing that with taking action. So like both Rhiannon and Charlotte were saying, there are advantages to taking action. Uh, not only is it actually tackling the, the, the problem, and the problem is the, the nature and climate crisis, but it can help people feel more in control, more hopeful, it can connect people, people feel more resilient. It's a good signal, isn't it, to decision makers about what young people are thinking is important. So there's a lot of advice around that. But yes, I think your question is, 
what if young people are trying that maybe hopefully you know adults are becoming more aware and they're supporting their young people to do all these things and yet things are still not feeling great that's the question isn't it when when do you need to look for additional support when maybe might you start looking for advice from a doctor so well obviously no no two people are the same so it's hard to give generic advice but I think one definite pointer would be that you or someone you care about um, feel that they can't cope with ordinary day-to-day -day life. So an example of this might be that your anxiety levels are so high, you can't think of anything else. You might be consistently having interrupted sleep, um, making it hard to get up and, and do what you want to do and or you might be feeling low all the time and can't find enjoyment in anything you're doing maybe some people might be losing weight due to not eating enough find that in order to cope with these really powerful feelings they might be using drugs or alcohol or might be self-harming or having suicidal thoughts so that's just some examples that that won't cover everything. It's often um, it's often hard for young people to see themselves when they've reached that point. So I, I really, really would say, please, you know, talk to someone you trust and, and just let them know how how it's affecting you. Or even if that's too difficult, ask yourself if my friend was affected in this way would I be asking them to, to go and get additional help? And if you think you've reached that level or someone you know has reached that level, then you can arrange to speak to your GP or to the wellbeing support staff at school, and then they can advise you about what um, further services are available. They may suggest, for example, you refer to the local child and adolescent mental health service. Um, I think it's worth saying now at this point that actually sometimes they won't know about eco-distress because as we've all, all mentioned, there is still quite low rates of awareness around this. So young people might be met by that even from a professional they're seeking help from it. And I just would say, um, you know, this doesn't mean that you shouldn't be seeking help. A big thank you to Dr. Katrina, Charlotte and Rhiannon for speaking with us today about this issue especially Charlotte and Rhiannon for sharing their experiences and thoughts. As we have heard in this discussion, it is essential that we listen to young people's concerns and give them a voice in the climate conversation. The Royal College of Psychiatrists' new resources on eco-distress are available on our website. Please do have a read. Thank you again for listening to this Royal College of Psychiatrists podcast.